Tundra Talk is brought to you by Frontier Outfitters and Century Hardware, your locally owned source for hunting, fishing, and shooting gear in interior Alaska. They sell proven gear that will tackle whatever Alaskan tasks you need it to, and Frontier always stays current with gear for the season. Whether you're baiting bears in the spring, fishing, camping, or dip netting in the summer, you're looking for game bags and moose camp gear in the fall, uh, if you need to stock up on trapping lures or just get everything you need to go ice fishing, they've got you covered. They always carry a wide variety of Alaskan-proven clothing and boots, camping gear, meat processing supplies, guns, ammo, reloading and shooting supplies, as well as camping gear and backpacking food. Downstairs in Century Hardware, you'll find a full hardware store naturally, and um, you'll also find your snow machine, ATV, marine accessories down there. They go out of their way to stock plenty, plenty of quality, useful equipment. And whether you're gearing up for a hunting or fishing trip, working on a never-ending home improvement project, or anything in between, it's usually a one-stop shop. Frontier Outfitters is located on 3rd and Old Steese in Fairbanks, and they have a second location in North Pole, so make sure you stop in next time you need to gear up. This episode of Tundra Talk is also brought to you by Hedgecock Group Realtor Rick Lindsay, a guy that can take care of just about any of your real estate needs in the Fairbanks area. Now, the Hedgecock Group has been in Fairbanks North Pole real estate market since the early 80s, and their service is tailored to meet the diverse needs of home buyers in interior Alaska. Now, Rick has lived in Fairbanks for a long time and understands a lot of the less obvious ins and outs of buying and selling property around here. You know, things like water holding tanks and permafrost and all that jazz. Fairbanks is a really unique place to live, and having a realtor that knows what to look for in a quality place can make all the difference. Rick's a Marine Corps veteran and will work hard to get you exactly what you need. And if you're looking to buy or sell real estate in the Fairbanks or North Pole area, reach out to Rick at 907-378-6780. And go check out his Instagram at R-L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-113 at rlindsey113. He's really a passionate outdoorsman. He's just like us. He's one of us. And he loves to share his adventures on there. And he's got a pretty a pretty nice cranker of a ram that I'm jealous of. So go check him out. That's how you do it. All right. Welcome back to Tundra Talk, everybody. I'm Tyler Friel. Um, Pretty excited, like kind of an impromptu episode, but excited to have Peyton Meredith, former Fairbanks police officer, detective, and now author. And uh, yeah, welcome, welcome in. It was like, like I said, it was kind of an impromptu trip, but our schedules lined up, and you're in town, and in town twice, and uh, twice in one week, impromptu trips at the the courtesy of the Fairbanks District Attorney's Office for <laughs> for two different trials, twice in one week. Yeah, so it's been a, it's been a long week. That's a lot of traveling. <laughs> it is. It's a lot of it's a lot of traveling, but uh, I'll take the airline miles and, and call it good. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, especially for you know for someone who likes traveling to hunt and whatnot. Yep. Seems like which so as a little bit of background, you're kind of like. Pete pseudo Pete Buse pseudo nephew and um yeah I was Pete's big on airline miles <laughs> yes he is and we've been on a, a number of trips together and and uh Pete was kind of my mentor growing up uh hunting and I was lucky enough to have him uh to take me out quite a bit I loved hunting with my dad and that was uh the best experience I've ever had but 
having Pete around, uh, you could do worse to have a mentor for hunting. And uh, yeah. Yeah, Pete always referred to me. I was not the fruit of his loins. I was the future of his refrigerator. Yeah. Um, and uh, But we've shared some really good adventures together. Yeah, so. it was funny. And, you know, Pete's influence is pretty wide. So it was, um, I was telling you, I went, you know, I went bow hunting in Kentucky in November and it was a media hunt and the, you know, the, the, the PR guy who was kind of, who was set this up for, for a couple companies, um, and was on the hunt with us was talking, yeah, you know, one years ago, I was talking to someone from Alaska on, you know, on the forums about coming caribou hunting and he, yeah, he gave me a lot of good info. And then, and then I realized, yo, he's actually like living in New Jersey. And I was like, I bet I know who that <laughs> said. That's Pete Bust, isn't it? <laughs> yep. And it was, he's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, he lived right down, you know, a couple towns over. So I went in the winter, you know, so I went over and, and chatted him up and, and then that was right after I had Pete on the last time and, you know, talking about his book and, and he, so he was texting, you know, at, at the same time was texting me, I'm sitting in the tree stand down there. It's, yep. a, it's a small world sometimes. Yep. And I was, uh, I was in town when Pete did the podcast with you last time I was up, uh, I had that, uh, DM yeah, that's right. cow moose tag yeah, that's right. that I've drawn every couple of years and we ran out of moose meat down in Idaho. So I ran back up and. And uh, saw what non-residents really have to pay to, <laughs> to hunt moose in the state of Alaska. He even took a picture of the cash register when I bought my tag. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. Tell you what, though, at least somebody, at least somebody can kill a moose now because I've I've found the bottom of my moose stash from last year. Yep, we we ran out with all the kids we have, and that's you know we've been fortunate to live that field to table lifestyle, and and our kids and and family that's all they've ever eaten growing up. You yeah. know, as burger and stuff, as moose and caribou and. The yeah. occasional other critter uh, yeah. that lot, were thrown in there. But. I mean, a lot of people, I think, take that for granted. They, uh, yeah. you know, up here that, that do it. Because eh, even most hunters, that's not like everyday meals were here. It's like, no. it's moose car- moose or caribou or something. Yeah, yeah I don't think they've had, uh, our kids haven't had, uh, you know, spaghetti or tacos or anything that was not a moose ever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, unless we went to Taco Bell or something, which I don't even know what that is, but. Yeah, um, no, no, when we, uh, you know, fortunate just enough to be able to come back and still hunt and, uh, and visit folks like Pete yeah, and then shoot, shoot moose on the side of the road. Heck yeah. With, that's, with the where, that's where gra- grandpa <laughs> yeah. said he wouldn't, or my uncles all sw- swore my grandpa had never shoot one. I couldn't back the truck up to. So. Yeah. And the last few we had, my wife shot three cow moose in a row. We could almost back the truck up to, and, uh, that one last, this one, this last fall, we, we, uh, we took care of it in the headlights. Nice. So that worked out. Worked out pretty good. Heck yeah! Yep. I uh, before I get rolling, you're tr- talking about traveling. Reminded me, my travels recently was down at Shot Show last week for work. Te- yep. Quote unquote. You quote know. unquote. Technically, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, but which you know that that is what it is. The flight back now from Seattle to Fairbanks. It was it was funny. I mean, well, it wasn't funny. It was a pain in the ass, but you know, you get about two thirds of the way and they're like, oh, well, we're diverting to Anchorage because of such and such part is out of spec or gauge or something. Oh, so okay. I'd get it fixed. And, you know, long story short, we go get in, had to get in, land in Anchorage for, a, you know, a couple, three hours, change planes and, and, and get up here. But man, it was like, everybody was on that plane. There was the <laughs> the 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 first class like you know college age looking dude that was puking in the in the terminal area after <laughs> it had been riding probably boozing it up there was um the giant guy in our row that was just yeah. angry as hell like 
And I'm, I'm just it's loudly like, telling my wife, look, getting pissed is not going to do anything. What's it going to do? Yeah. It's just going to make you mad. Yep. And then, uh, which I'll, you know, I'll go out there. I think a, a fake blind lady <laughs> that, that I don't know if she just wanted, you know, didn't want her dog riding underneath, but yeah. there were some telltale signs. Oh yeah. Especially <laughs> coming back from Vegas. You never know who's going to be yeah. on the plane and, yeah. and what, and what state they're going to be in. <laughs> yeah. Which it's, uh. You know, like the, and oh, I hate to pick on people. I kind of hate to uh, pick on people. Sometimes I don't, but the dog was like barking at me when I'd, st- it was a, cu- a couple rows up and I was like, yeah, that's not a real, that's not a legit service dog, no. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then, you know, all, all towels stuffed in the harness. Oh, it's cause the harness was like, yeah, you just wanted your dog a free ride up right. here. But all that to say the funniest part, I just about lost my shit when we got off the plane in Anchorage, got back on. And she was like one of the last people and she's, you know, coming down the aisle with her dog and Ray Charles glasses and shit. And, and the flight attendants go, good to see you again. And she said, good to see you too. But it's just ridiculous. Yeah. It's like, how often do they see the same people? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's probably, well, and it was the same crew from our other flight mm-hmm. that had just transferred over, but I was like. They're like, good to see you. I'm like, she can't. Told her, nudge she my can't wife. I elbow, elbow my wife. I was like, she's going to say it. She, right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, anyway, so on the trip down, I, um, you had sent me, you know, got in touch with me and sent me your book. My my turkey has hypothermia officer, kind of a, uh, I mean, I'd describe it, but you could describe it too, probably just kind of your, a collection of experiences and stuff. Right? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. You know, I I, I wanted to do. You know, being a, a grown up in Fairbanks and being a cop for so long up here, you can only hear, "Hey, you should write a book. You should write a book." So often. Yeah. And um, I was sitting in the Louisville, Kentucky airport in 2016 ish on my way back from a homicide training, and my flight was delayed. And I just sat there and took the computer out and I wrote the introduction to the book and I said, you know, I'm going to do it. And then over the years, you know, I'd pick it up and put it down and pick it up and put it down. And it wasn't until a couple of years ago where I said, I've got to finish this project. Yeah. And yeah, it's a, it's a true crime uh, memoir. You know, it's, it's a collection of stories that uh, meant a lot to me. Mm -hmm. Some are funny, some are sad, some are some of the, the back uh, story to a lot of kind of famous quote unquote cases from Mm -hmm. the Fairbanks area. And the whole point was to um, to share stories that I thought should be told. Um, there's a lot of victims of a lot of crimes that happen around here that their stories are never told. People don't know what really happened. Yeah. And I really wanted people to understand what it's like to be in law enforcement in the state of Alaska because it, it is unique. Um, you know, they work in a very unique environment um, with a lot of unique people. Yeah. You know, and uh, yeah, that was it. It was just a, a way to tell a lot of stories that I thought should have been told. Yeah. You know? No, that's – um, shit, I had some right exactly where I was going to roll off into something great. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't, but it was uh, – you know, what – why don't you give like some of your background? Because you you did you weren't born here, but you pretty much grew yeah, up in no, Fairbanks. No, no, no. I right? grew up. I did. I grew up in Fairbanks. We moved here from Tennessee when I was four, mm-hmm. and my parents were, were school teachers, and they didn't want to live in a big city anymore. And yeah. so at the time, my aunt and her uh, her husband was stationed at Fort Wainwright, mm-hmm. so they came up to visit. And then uh, a couple of days after my fourth birthday um, in September, they moved to Alaska, and you know they were school teachers. So, yeah, I grew up for Fairbanks, stayed here for college, and uh, went to the police academy in 1998, uh, graduated from Lathrop in 95, yeah. and 
Graduated from UAF with my undergrad in 98 and went through college as quickly as I could. I took as many credits as possible just to get through it. Went to the police academy. I tried the other. I, yeah, I took right. the other route. <laughs> yeah. No, I wanted to get through it. I wanted to get going, you know, yeah. in the career. And I went to the police academy when I was 20. I wasn't even old enough to drink at the graduation yeah. ceremony. I did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I wasn't even old enough to do that. And then finished my undergrad and then just got real lucky and started out, out in North Pole. Yeah. And uh, a lot of, it, it, you know, the North Pole Police Department, uh, you know, there's a lot of good people that work out there. And uh, Steve, the chief out there, is one of my closest friends. But but back then, it was a lot different. It was a different department. You know, it was yeah. a lot smaller. They didn't have the budget and the equipment. And it wasn't it wasn't the department it is today. Not knocking it or anything. It's yeah. just different. And it was a good place to start a career or finish a career. It was not some place to finish in the middle. Yeah. And when you're 21 years old and wanting to take on the world and solve crimes and, and be a superhero, it was not the place to stay. So, But I got real lucky and Fairbanks called me after a few months and they said, hey, no, come work for us. Yeah. No, then, that uh, was... Yeah. The rest is history. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll you know probably hint at some of the stuff in the book. You obviously want people to read it because it's it's a. Yeah. I was I was pretty. I mean, I read it almost nonstop through the way through the the airport. Not only because it's interesting, but like a a per you know, I've been here for over twenty years now. So like it's a lot of like a kind of a personal connection. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I went like I went out to high school out in North Pole, mm-hmm. and you know you know all these places and probably have seen some of the people oh i guarantee you you had yeah it's hard to you know it's hard to even drive through town just here visiting you know i'm up here for for court right now and and just driving through town and you know not only growing up here but you drive around you're like oh i remember that homicide there i remember that fight there i remember that shooting there i remember that rape over there i mean it's just everywhere you go and i always told my wife i was like you know if if i'm not a, a cop in fairbanks i can't live here anymore yeah. I was like, I grew up here. It's like, I've been, you know, a police officer here over 20 years. I was like, if we're, if I'm not going to do this anymore, I was like, I'm not going to live in Fairbanks. I just can't. Yeah. So but, I could uh, see that yeah. being, yeah, it's that just being a really. Yeah. It's just too hard. It, you know, it's very hard seeing the other, you know, the other guys driving in the police cars and you want to go help and do stuff and you hear about stuff happening and nope, it just wasn't, wasn't meant to be. So yeah. <laughs> we moved to a warmer climate and, yeah. <laughs> uh, and come back up for court and stuff yeah. like that. But, but uh, uh yeah. so the title, my turkey, at, uh, my turkey as hypothermia yeah. officer, you'll have to just like run through that. Sure. That yeah. You know, I sure. had a, I had a different title to the book. The working title was river city. Yeah. You know, cause Fairbanks, you know, yeah. it was river city and that, that was the title forever. And, uh, I was on a, I was just, like a beautiful it was like a saturday or sunday morning and uh i was uh, a supervisor on day shift and i i used to run a lot of traffic Mm -hmm. and uh i just figured if i was out running traffic the guys on my shift would get out and run you know the if the boss is doing it we're gonna do it too kind of thing and uh i didn't write a ton of tickets and stuff but it was just a way to stay busy and so Mm -hmm. i was running traffic out on the highway and i just pulled this gal over and she's driving a minivan one time and or this time and I, i walked up to the car and uh, I always had the same spiel, and uh, I'll never forget her. She was wearing like uh, I was almost like a surgical scrub looking. It wasn't what the lady on the front yeah. of the books, co- yeah. you know, that guy took liberty to that. Yeah. She was wearing almost <laughs> like a, it looked like pajamas, almost like a surgical scrubs. Yeah. And uh, she um, she kind of a big chested gal. I don't know another yeah. way to put it. And yeah. uh, she was kind of sitting there, and I just said, "Hey, you know, I'm with the Fairbanks Police Department. You know, I stopped your vehicle." And she says, "Yeah." She goes, "I was speeding." I'm like, "Okay, check." You know, yeah. <laughs> and I said, "Well, do you know how fast you were going?" And she told me how fast, and check. You know, she was right on it. I was like, "I was like, do you want to write the ticket for me, or yeah. you, you know, you good?" 
And I said, do you know what the speed limit is? She says, yep. And, you know, I always ask everybody the same question. I was like, you know, is there any type of emergency or some reason why you're going 20 miles an hour over the speed limit or whatever? And mm-hmm. she says, yes. She said, my turkey has hypothermia. And I looked at her. I'm like, what did you say? And she says, my turkey has hypothermia. And about the time I was asking her, like, say that one more time, up from amongst her cleavage, pops his turkey head up. And it's just like... And it starts jiggling everything. And I'm just like, oh, my God, you know? And it wasn't just like a little chick thing. This is like a butterball. It was a turkey, you know, coming up, coming up her shirt. And this thing's looking at me. And I'm looking at the turkey. And right then I walk back to my car and I change the title of the book. (laughs) Get the hell out of here. (laughs) Message dispatch on the computer. I was like, you're never going to guess. I was like, I've just 20-something years doing this. I've never pulled over a lady with a turkey shoved up her shirt. To keep to keep yeah. it warm, <laughs> yeah, and you, and you've seen yeah. some stuff too. Oh yeah, Jeez. yeah, yeah. No, I like. Uh, I mean, I the book was interesting to read. Like, I like your sense of humor. You seem like you've probably drafted some of that from Pete a little bit. Like, you seem oh, like yeah. you and Pete have similar, like, kind of dry, yeah. like, funny senses of humor. Sure. And I don't know. Like, I thought it was a good balance of like you know, I mean, just some like awful tragic stuff and yeah. and you know stuff that you can find humor in too yeah um, and if you didn't find humor in that job for so long and you know and find the bright side of it you just you know you wouldn't be able to make it yeah, you know because like, there are some just some tragic horrible stuff that happens to people yeah. and you work that job long enough that's what you see you know it's it's amazing and i, I kind of mentioned that in the book it's like you see what people are capable of doing to another person yeah you know especially children and stuff and when you live that day in and day out you know the funny stuff sticks out because yeah. if you don't if you don't laugh about the funny stuff on that job and you know sometimes they get you into trouble on that job too because you do develop that kind of warped sense of humor yeah um, especially amongst your coworkers yeah and um, you know I mean you know yeah it can be tough I remember one time we were on a homicide one time and and the whole picture on the front page of the paper about the homicide had nothing to do with the homicide. We were standing out in front, and somebody said kind of something fun. I don't even remember what it was. It was something yeah. stupid. And our lieutenant was there, and the picture that they used on the front page of the paper had nothing to do with the homicide. It was my lieutenant with a smile on his face. Oh, geez. And all the crap that we caught about, oh, look at you guys laughing at this homicide. And if they knew our lieutenant, they yeah. would think, you know, he would never, ever. And, you know, we got a hold of the yeah. the news miner after that, and we raised a little hell about that because that wasn't right, you know. Oh, yeah, but, naturally. Cause, so. But you got you to gotta find the humor and everything with that job because it'll, it'll eat you up. Yeah. I, uh, well, and speaking of humor, I'm reading about, like, a lot of, you know, the high-profile homicides and stuff that you mentioned in here, and I'm like, I am the missing link. I'm connected <laughs> to every one of these kids. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, just from living here, like, you know, the – the blood money case. It's like, yeah, yeah. I worked on that. You know that I worked on Chili's like when they were building yeah. it, not long before that. Yep. Um, you know them two ponds, which I won't. <laughs> when, when I found out, when I read what they were, what they were known for, yeah. I'm like, holy shit! I dodged a bullet there. Yeah. But uh, yep. like, yeah, I used to go. Well, one, the summer I think is the summer I moved up here. Or the summer after, I, I'd go out. I went out there several times. Fishings. My uncle had seen a, a couple huge pike laying. Oh in there. yeah, and uh, you know that. Um, yeah, I mean all the shady shit that at least used to happen out by the tan and all. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's 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 amazing this town where 
you know, from one end to the other, the stuff that's happened here and that does happen here. Yeah. And a lot of people just don't realize what goes on because we, you know, people live their lives and, you know, it's only a certain percentage of society that the police are dealing with. And so a lot of people are like, hey, it's Fairbanks. Everything's great. And this is the best place in the world to live. And there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. But, you know, per capita, the, you know, the crime's pretty bad here, you know. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, and that's one thing I was going to say is yeah. it's like a look into, and I, you know, Typically, unless you know, unless you're running in the wrong, you know, the exactly. wrong place, the wrong yep. circles, and being yep. in the wrong place at the wrong time, you don't. I mean, Fairbanks seems like nothing happens. It seems like nothing. And I happens. imagine a lot yeah. of people are. Yeah, and and I've I've seen, I've heard I've talked to a lot of people that the first time that they ever realize kind of what goes on around town is when they've had to go serve on like grand jury for oh, like yeah. a month, yeah. and then they see like a month's worth of felony arrest mm-hmm. come through grand jury, and they're like, "Holy cow!" Like we had no idea. Yeah. What goes on around here? I mean, 2012 between us and the state troopers, and I talk about this in the book, we damn near had 40 homicides between Fairbanks police and the state troopers within, you know, the Fairbanks North Star Borough. Yeah, that's in, it's yep. insane. And, you know, like, I mean, like Daniel Frederick, I, I remember, you know, I hadn't, you know, memories yep. long ago, but start reading that. I was like, oh, I met that guy a bunch of times. Yep. You know, it, when I, the first job I worked running, running the counter at holiday parks yeah you know he was in there a bunch and yeah i remember uh i talk about this in the book you know when i was a kid when the comic shop used to be over there downtown right across from the police station now yeah. and we would ride our bikes from hamilton acres over on uh craig avenue and lignite yep. where i grew up and we would ride our bikes to the comic shop and we would stop in to talk to dad uh to daniel and uh, he would show us all the baseball cards yeah you know and of course i was a baseball card nut and uh, so I just love looking at those things, and we would stop in and talk to him. And here I was, you know, 30 years later, digging through the baseball cards that these guys stole from him when they killed him. I was like, this is the same cards I looked at when I was, yeah. you know, 10 years old riding my bike. And just, here we are going through these baseball cards that these guys stole when they when they killed him. Yeah. It, yep. and, and, like, you know, I, and I don't know what it is that's so, like, it's interesting reading true crime stuff. I mean, I, like watch unsolved mysteries and shit when yeah. I was a kid, like ate it up. And there's a lot of, and I've told people sometimes, yeah, I don't have a lot of time to listen to podcasts, but a lot of times it's like, yeah, I kind of got my, like, I, I do a hunting podcast, but I kind of yeah. got, got listening to them out of my system. And, you know, I'll listen to the old cold case, like listen to the cold case sure. files and yeah. stuff like that. But, uh, it definitely hits different. Like reading the stuff hits different when yeah, you're when it's here. here. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, yep. You know, I was always pretty, I think the average person's probably pretty naive. I mean, it, I didn't, I, and I haven't been exposed to that size stuff really, but my cousin was a, was a cop on Fort Wainwright for a while. He's mm-hmm. switched over to doing fish and wildlife stuff, but, uh, he's, when he's like, yeah, you should probably carry a gun everywhere you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, you know, and it's all, it's just situational, you know, yep. and, and, you know, Fairbanks is, is, isn't like, you know, it's just the same as anywhere else. Mm-hmm. I mean. Anything can happen anywhere, but um, I don't know. I've just seen the different side of it, you know, um, just from working here so long. But, uh, you know, you mentioned the cold case stuff and watching the cold case files. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Fairbanks, you know, there's a lot of cold cases still out there to be solved um, that have hurt this community. Yeah. And we were lucky, you know, during my career that we were able to, to wrap up a few of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's still a bunch out there, you know, Sophie Sergi was a big one that's gotten closed up yeah. recently. That was another big one. And then there's, um, you know, there's a bunch still down that the guys, I know the detectives that are still down there, they're still working yeah. on them. And people think, uh, some of these victims, you're, 
you know, Mahogany Davis, some of these, uh, some of these girls that, you know, got killed a long time ago and stuff that they're forgotten and they're not, those guys are still working those cases. I mean, I know they are, I was talking to them, you know, last week when I was up here for another trial and they were still asking me questions about, Hey, did you do this? Or what do you think about this? And we still bounce stuff off. They're still working on them. Yeah. You You know, know, and it's, and people like, you know, me and uh, guys have talked, you know, some of the stuff like you wonder, yeah, it just makes you think and like kind of maybe be a little more cognizant, you know, what, like who's out there now. I mean, they're finding body parts and freezers and toke. And, oh, yeah. Um, you know, like people going missing, like I knew Frankie Minano, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I say new, not, not being optimistic. Right. But, uh, you know, just yeah, and, stuff. Yeah. And generally on a lot of those, um, you know, the, the simplest explanation is usually the right one. And yeah. your gut feeling about a lot of that stuff is almost always right. Yeah. And, you know, I found out almost all of these cases we worked over the years, none of them are rocket science. That's why we were able to do it, mm-hmm. right? Um, but even in the cases now you're talking about, generally it's just the simplest explanation yeah. is the right one. Conspiracy theories are rarely what happens. Yeah. Um, it's just usually your gut feeling is right. And it's just... The simplest explanation, just putting the pieces together in all of these cases that we worked and even the cases now, you know, it's, it's, it's usually just pretty simple, Yeah, you know, and it's, it's usually cases are still solved based upon witness statements and confessions and just physical evidence Mm -hmm. and usually DNA stuff like that just kind of ties it all together, you know, and, and just. Usually the simplest explanation is the right one. I don't know another way to put it. Yeah. But, well, and I no. like, you know, like that, and that blood money case made me think, you know, they got all these TV shows like First 48, you know, and that, mm-hmm. and reading through that kind of get like, it gave me a sense of like the, fran- I don't know what I could relate it to in my life being behind in work or something, but like a sen- like a frantic sense of like needing to put pieces together right now, you know. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and that's how a lot of those cases started. And you're talking about this case from 19 uh, or from 2006. Yeah, and that's when uh, uh, young young man from from Mento was killed mm-hmm. uh, by the Carlson Center during Wheel. Yeah. Um, I was doing a book signing when the book came out. Um, I came up um, with my wife. She was up, up here for work. She still works up here. Yeah, and uh, doing a book signing at Barnes and Noble. And the first person that came to that book signing was his mom. Oh, nice. and she drove all the way in from Mento to come see me. She was the first person that walked in the door. Yeah, give nice. me a big hug. Yeah, and uh, no, that was a sad case. But that's just one of those cases that um, you know it's solved by you know witness statements, mm-hmm. and, and it's not necessarily just physical evidence. It all ties together, and that. You know, that guy was killed outside uh, the Carlson Center over a uh, uh, an eighth-ounce bag of marijuana. Yeah. That's it. That's it. I mean, that's what somebody's life is worth. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And just ran into some punk from Florida that just wanted to make a name for himself, and he's lucky he didn't kill all those kids that night. Yeah. And they just had a drug deal gone bad, if you want to say whatever yeah. it is, and he just executed Gary right there Jeez. beside the Carlson Center. And, yeah, took a, you know, but... Took a day to, to to figure that one out, but that uh, had a lot of twists and turns to it. Yeah, but, uh, no, yeah. it was it was fascinating, like reading reading yeah. through that case, and uh, and also I thought it was it was interesting and and you know enlightening. You know how you're you describe being you know all the all the shit you would want to just like do and get pissed at these people that you know are guilty. Yeah. But that that's yeah you know, that's never going to get you. No, you and and go, that's yeah. and that's a big thing between real life and TV, right? Mm-hmm. And I used to teach at the police academy, and uh, I was lucky enough to work with some detectives that were just good at interviewing people. Mm-hmm. And it takes a certain type of cop to do that. And there's nothing wrong with not being able to do it. You know, yeah. just some people, 
you know, I used to tell people like, listen, when you go interview somebody, it's like you catch more flies with honey. And it's none yeah. of this stuff like TV where they're yelling at people and blue bloods and Donnie Wahlberg, you know, whatever. Yeah, they're yeah. throwing people around. They're yelling at people. No one wants to talk to you when you're yelling at them. No one wants to be receptive you got to remember you go into an interview like that you're trying to get somebody that you don't know to confess a crime to you that's going to put them in jail for the rest of their life yeah i mean that's what you're trying to do yeah. and everybody walking into that well i would never tell you i did that and go to jail forever well sit down here for a couple hours and let's see how that goes for you you know yeah. and luckily i was able to work with just some excellent interviewers and interrogators and stuff over the years um and so for you know cases like that that you're talking about in some of them but you catch more flies with honey, and yeah. um, that's the only way to do it was to empathize with people and to get them to trust you. And, and people inherently want to tell you the truth. People mm -hmm. inherently, they want to tell you why they did something because they know they did it, and they mm -hmm. want to tell you why. They want you to understand why they did it. They just need for you to push the right buttons to give them the right reason to tell them. Yeah. And that's all it is. It's just a big game, you know. Yeah, but... Uh, yeah, you can't do that. I used to have academy students say stuff like that. It's like, I don't see how you could sit across somebody and do that. I would just want to punch them in the face. And I was like, well, you're in the wrong job, man. Yeah. It's like, you can't you can't do that. Yeah. You know, you're going to end up on the news one of these days. I was like, you can't you know, go find another job because you can't do that. Yeah. But, yeah, it, it, take, it takes a toll on you mentally, though, dealing with all those interviews and stuff over the years. You know, I mean, you're, you're interviewing while, these, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, child abuse cases and stuff mm -hmm. like that and you got these guys killing kids and stuff and you know letting them cry on your shoulder and wiping their nose for you you know and yeah and uh empathizing with them for why they did what they did because you know you could understand it and stuff it's you know it's kind of rough when you when you deal oh, with people yeah, well, like just that taxing but, on you yeah you it is that. it is a mental thing i mean there's no doubt about it yeah you know and it affects it affects people i talk about this in the book it affects you for for the rest of your life because trusting people around your kids yeah everywhere you go i mean it's just you're always you know cognizant of because you've seen it you've seen the daycares you've seen the stuff go wrong at all these places mm -hmm. so you definitely or on a heightened sense of awareness with your with your family and your kids and stuff for sure. Yeah, yeah. no, and and like yeah, like I mentioned that uh, you know that, which was probably the wor like the worst one I could think of the the, um, it's the Hampton Inn case. That, yeah, like yeah, yeah like I rough. told like I told mm -hmm. you I was like my my wife helped them you know at the hospital when yep. they're delivering that baby and even. You know, because, you know, she was never, like, naming people, but mm -hmm. she'd, you know, come home and vent and, like, be like, oh, you know, this happened today, that happened today. And a lot of times it's like, man, something's not right here or there. And and unfortunately, that yeah. one was just. Yeah, any any case like that where there's such a loss of life with, you know, more than one person, especially, a, a, you know, a child mm -hmm. involved in something like that, it's. You know, the kid cases like that were the worst. And you can take that, that case from Hampton Inn you're talking about. And that was, you know, a triple homicide and then suicide after that. And you take cases like that and, and, and you throw a kid into the mix with mm -hmm. it. And it just takes it to a whole nother level, yeah. you know, because, you know, we're adults. And and since I ha I've had and kids. And you have kids. And, yeah. yeah, boy, you know, you talk about going home and hugging your kids a night a little. I did that night, I'll tell you right now. Yeah. You know, and, you know, having dealt with so many kid deaths over the years and, you know, child death investigations and stuff. And it definitely gives you a different perspective and teaches you different lessons about how you should handle your kids yeah, and how you should talk to them. And uh, I'll tell you right now, you know, people, 
people over the years talk about the hardest cases to work and, you know, kid cases and stuff, especially t- cases with teenage girls and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you're dealing with sexual abuse cases and stuff like that. And dealing with runaways and stuff being assaulted and all these horrible things to all these kids. And I'll tell you what, one of the, the, the common factors amongst all of it is, is it goes back to the parents and what's in the house. It really is. Yeah. And I know they make their own decisions, kids doing stuff. But I'm telling you, it's just a common denominator and factor in almost all those cases that there generally was not like a great father figure in the house. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it just leads to problems. And I'll tell you right now, it's like ever since I started working those cases, the last things my kids hear before they go to bed every night is I love you from their yeah. dad. It's the last thing, you know, and uh, I'm telling you, that's just, it's just something you learn just dealing with all those yeah. cases, you know. Yeah. But, you know. No, that makes sense. Yep. And then. I think yeah, and that one. And finally, I was also I wasn't involved, but the yeah. the fire, you know, the fire that was on that you talk about in to co- I think that was to cover up a homicide. Yeah, fire. yeah, that was the yeah. on on Geister, over there right? on Garrity. Yeah, the Garrity Street over there behind uh, the Holiday Station. Um, not quite that far. It's over on Garrity behind. Um, uh, like subway over there uh, by the wet, oh wet willis car wash over there okay yeah i yeah. was thinking about a different one i was thinking about Didn't that, the college that. inn over there or whatever yeah, it was yeah. yeah no that the garrity street fire that was a you know that he was just sentenced not long ago that dragged out for years and years um um getting that getting that guy sentenced he was a juvenile when it happened but yeah. because he's 16 and it's a homicide and an arson you're you know basically automatically waived to adult status so that took a while to get yeah. resolved that just resolved not long ago well there's yeah I mean, that was it, a horrible deal and, yeah and, i tell you what he's lucky that more people didn't die in that thing yeah. i'll tell you right now you've got an apartment building with two stories like that mm-hmm. in the middle of the night and when he set that apartment on fire to cover up that homicide it just exploded and that's what woke everybody up was like the, yeah. you know, there's so much gas poured in that apartment. It just exploded. Yeah. I mean, it's on video, right? And so it exploded and it woke everybody up. Uh, otherwise that rickety old building, I, it could have killed, I don't know how many people could have died. Yeah. And the poor lady that died, not the, the well, the, they were both poor yeah. ladies, but the one lady he killed before the fire, the lady that other, the other lady that died, she was, uh, she was deaf. She couldn't hear yeah, so, everything. Yeah. She just died in her sleep, you know, smoke inhalation. It was horrible. Yeah. There could have been, that could have been, I mean, a lot of bodies on that. Just yeah. everybody got real lucky they got out. I mean, it was cold too. They're jumping out in the snow and on the roofs and stuff and all that could have been way worse than Jeez. it was. Yep. Yeah. They, uh, and that, and reading all these, I mean, you start thinking all this other stuff like the two rivers arsons where they, you oh, know, yeah. was it just a kid yep. burning, you know, just burning all sorts of places down out yep. there. And, um, yeah, pretty, pretty sketchy, like. Just sober, sobering. Yeah, it's a good way to put stuff. it. Yeah, and that's why I had to sprinkle in some some funny stories yeah. in Which there I, as, as well, yeah. you know. Which and you know, like one, you know, did you and what, if you can't talk about, it, it's fine. What that um, you were still probably working the guy that um, young native guy that got killed at the uh, it it was that it used to be the Chuck E. Cheese and then the Asaw one and the yeah. bar. No, no, no. Yeah, that one because that mm-hmm. one. But you guys did end up catching the guy. The guys yeah, that and that's not in the book. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was quite a tell. That was John Cavera because yeah, you were talking about. Yeah, because that was so, he was a, a a guy. I you know when yep. I was working construction, 
one of the pl- pipe fitters I worked with oh, okay. frequently. It was his apprentice. Yeah, and that was a really tough case because it's not a who done it. I mean, yeah. there there was never a question once we caught those guys about who did it. Yeah, there was a question at trial about the reason why, and there yeah. and, and the guy was found not guilty, and so. But there was never a question that he was not the guy that did it. I mean, yeah. they said that in the opening statements. You know, my client shot yeah. John Cavera. Look, that was never an issue. But you know that w- that was a case where you've got you know there's a lot of a lot of drug dealing up here and mm-hmm. comes through Anchorage and and you're dealing with people traveling to Alaska that were pretty heavy hitters um, and dealing drugs. Yeah. And so that it came to Fairbanks on a weekend trip and just didn't know that they were getting into a bar fight, basically. But the hard thing was is that none of them were from Fairbanks. Yeah. Only one of them was from Anchorage. Wow. And then so once they left, they left, and there was just no trace of them. And I'll tell you what, we worked, I mean, for the year, our entire team, the effort that put into just to identifying who those people were involved in that. We were up around 40 something search warrants on phone records, you know, yeah. GPS and phones. Every time we would get a suspect, the first thing we do was get a, get a, a, a warrant to check their phone records to see if we could GPS them at mm-hmm. the crime scene. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's how we could eliminate people. Yeah. And that's the tool that we use to eliminate them. And then finally we got, um, uh, like a, wasn't like a Boy Scout troop, or I don't remember what it was, but somebody found the murder weapon out behind Willowwood Apartments out there by one of those ponds out Jeez. there. And what had happened, I think, was somebody went out there to go throw it in the pond, but they 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 didn't get it to the pond, right? Yeah. And so it was on the edge of the pond, and the gun had been reported stolen from Anchorage. Hmm. And that led us kind of domino effect to the first guy. And I'll never forget when we got the first suspect in that. It wasn't the shooter. He was just there. When we uh, GPSed his phone and got a warrant for his phone records, and I put that longitude and latitude stuff in Google Earth, and it went, doot, 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 boom, right and there. it showed right there at the crime scene. I'm like, thank you. I'm like, there's one. Yeah. There's three to go. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was a tough one, you know. But we've eventually, you know, we had we worked that case in Alaska, Texas, Ohio, California. We went all over the place working that case. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Yeah. And it was it wasn't the the outcome that we wanted. I mean, he was found not guilty and it there's nothing that we could do about it. But yeah. um you know, it ended up being a stand your ground kind of self defense issue, but you know, is what it is. Um yeah. but uh it was not a good outcome for the victim's family and stuff and that. But yeah. But yeah. We, God, we put a lot of work into that. I mean that there's, and I don't we, think we, people realize that's the thing. No, people, people don't realize that. We walked away. It's not. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, Tyler. It's not very often that we would get a trial a case to trial, and um, it's you know it's a not guilty verdict mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Generally, by the time it would get to a trial, if somebody didn't plead out, I mean we were going to get a guilty verdict on a homicide. Yeah. I mean we were there for a reason, and I mean we all walked away from that. I think with at least our heads held up, like man, we did everything we could. It's like we caught him. We, we identified yeah. who it was. It took a year to do it, but we identified everybody that was there, where they were. I mean, who they were, where they're from, everything. It's like we did, but we couldn't change the circumstances yep. of it. You can't change that. I can yeah. identify everybody, get from point A to point B, but I can't change the circumstances of an incident. And mm-hmm. they just, they were what they were and there's nothing we could do. Were, yeah. You know, nothing we could have done about it. Yeah. It's yeah. uh nice. I liked how you wrapped up, wrapped up the, wrapped up with your, your muskox hunt, you know, cause I, I mean, yeah. obviously remember, you know, Alan Brandt yep. and, and that deal. Um, <coughs> yeah. And that's, you know, if you're not from Fairbanks, it's, you know, it's in the book, but it, it was a 
very high profile like tra- just tragedy. Yeah, it was horrible. Yeah. Um, and I got I got permission from uh, Bowhunter Magazine to to put that in the book. Yeah, because they had bought the rights to yeah, that story. Yeah. And um, you know, if if you're not familiar with it, you know, Alan was killed uh, back in 2016, and he was a big bow hunter. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, bow hunted spot and stock grizzly stuff. And we'd always talked about this muskox hunt. Well. Holy hell, one year I drew it with my buddy, yeah. um, Dustin. We I, we drew a party hunt out on Nunavak. I don't know what the odds were. Pretty we, slim. Pretty <laughs> damn slim, but, but we drew it one year. And, uh, yeah, no, we um, we went out there to Nunavak and did the hunt. And, um, you know, I had, I had said ahead of time that I was going to write an article about this. And I had contacted Bowhunter Magazine. Ever before I went with Kurt Wells, he's a buddy of mine, the editor. And I was like, hey, I'm going to do an article on this. And here's my idea. And he's like, yep, sounds good. Go do it. And, uh, yeah, went out there and, uh, kind of did the hunt in Alan's honor and had the badge number written on arrows and everything. And still got the arrow up, uh, you know, in my house, um, right there by my, in my office, um, and just had a perfect hunt and, uh, man made a perfect shot on the, I think it was the biggest muskox they shot on the Island that year. Nice. It was a big one. And, um. Yeah, and and, a little uh, bit of adversity in the hunt, like a yeah, bit of, <laughs> oh, the hunt. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been out once, and yeah, you know, it's every hunt's hard in its own way, and muskox has plenty of challenges yeah, and, too. <laughs> and, and 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 the first one we shot, Dustin, uh, my friend, he's from out of state, he's non-resident. I was, of course, still at the police department at the time. We landed on the plane, and when those boys out there get the weather good, like yep. they go hunting, yep. right? And so we we landed. Dustin never even ridden on a snow machine before. And they're like, all right, let's go. We got to go hunting. And we're, we're like, oh my gosh. And he gets, we go to camp and they're like, nope, let's go. Yep. And you can fly and hunt the same day because it's a commercially yep, yep. scheduled flight, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a, you know, so it's legal. We landed on McCoryuk or in McCoryuk within two hours. We were on top of a plateau and I filmed Dustin shooting a muskox with his bow. I mean, that's how quick it was. Yeah. It was unbelievable. <laughs> Um, and the weather was great. Well, the next day we went out for my hunt and, uh, the weather was not great. And, uh, of course we're on a transported hunt. We didn't pay for the guided hunt. We didn't, you know, so we're just transported. So we were out there with our buddy Raymond and went to the same spot. Dustin killed his and, you know, Raymond stops the snow machines. We're like, Oh, I guess that's, that's code for look to your right. You might (laughs) want to look over there. And, uh, I can only get up and down the hill so many times. And I went up the hill and down the hill, up the hill, chasing these things around and finally got one to stand still for a minute. And, uh, and it's made a great shot. It's all on video. And, nice. um, this thing dropped on video and it was just like shooting a prehistoric dinosaur. It's just really cool. And as soon as I shot that thing and took pictures, the skies parted, I mean, cleared, and it was just the most beautiful sunny day. Yeah, because it, it sounds just, like it was pretty white. It out was when horrible. Used. It was just yeah, it was horrible. Like it was almost borderline. We couldn't go, mm-hmm. and they didn't actually even want to go very far from Macquarie Rock that day. And we were only a few miles out out when we got lucky. But as soon as we shot that thing, and I did a little spiel for Alan on the video, man, the sun came out and it was just gorgeous. I mean, just beautiful. Like taking our jackets off, drinking coffee, skinning this yeah. musk. I mean, it was just one of those moments you look back on. You're like, wow, what a perfect day you know just a great day to be alive and and you know realizing that you have a lot to be thankful for and uh but yeah so i wrote the article for bow hunter and and, uh, they let me put that in the book of course without without question so they let me let me reprint that and it was real special yeah that was a cool that was a cool way to write and it it was a hard thing to write about in the book you know um and i wanted to write about alan's death in the book um but I kept it pretty short. I was like, hey, listen, here's the basic case, yeah. and here's basically what happened, and, and, you know, here's kind of the circumstances. 
um, for the guy that killed him and, uh, and the trial and everything. And then I actually came back up after moved to Idaho. I came back up a year later and, uh, testified at the uh, sentencing for, yeah. for him. And that was pretty tough. Um, and, and, you know, and I mentioned it in the book, there's a lot of guys that have, have lost their lives that I, I wanted to write about that. I didn't know if it was my place or not, but I mentioned, you know, we lost a mm-hmm. lot of friends over the years and, you know, Gabe Rich and Scott Johnson yeah, and these guys, you know, Scott, um, with the state troopers, I mean, he was, I mean, you know, I remember going on calls with him back in the late nineties with Comco, his dog, you know, and yeah. I was just looking up at Scott, like, oh my gosh, you know, trying to do everything right. Cause you had this you know, state trooper with you with the dog and it was Scott Johnson and it was cool. And so, but we got to know each other. And so he was just a mentor over the years and, um, you know, Gabe, I taught in the the academy. So I didn't really write about the whole cases with them, but, but, you know, they deserve to be mentioned as well, you know, and just, you know, Scott, Scott particularly meant so much to this community, you know, to Toke and then Mm -hmm. on to Fairbanks and stuff. And Gabe was, you know, a local kid became a cop here just like I did. And, um, you know, but there's been, there's been so many over the years. I mean, there's been two people I went to the academy with that have died since we went to the academy, you yeah. know. So, <clears throat> but anyway. Yeah, it's, uh, know. I was going to, yeah, kind of encircling back, kind of in the beginning of your book, <laughs> like you talk, your description of, uh, oh, I, what bar, I didn't even know if that bar was still around when I was, that you'd, you'd told, <laughs> told the guy to come step outside. Uh, the, <laughs> yeah, the bar, yeah. And, uh, you know, got in a fight with it. it reminded me of my uncle that always told me so yeah after he said after he got out of high school he'd look you know wanted to go join the troopers yep. and they and, and that was this was in the early 70s and so he you know i think he he always had said he, he didn't end up being a trooper but he said they you know i told him well you got to he's only 18 or 19 so you, yep. you got to be 21 you got to be six feet tall and you got to be able to, <laughs> yeah. you got to be able to fight yep. <laughs> yeah and i i wasn't a fighter growing up yeah i just did i was just i just didn't grow up getting in a lot of fights as a yeah. kid and i just didn't and uh you know you're talking about blackie's bar out in north pole and i don't yeah. even know if it's there anymore i think I, it's torn down the building and uh but it was still around then and yeah. uh i had to had to do that for i had to get it over with at some point <laughs> yep. and uh being young and dumb and driving by and seeing this truck and and outside blackie's and like oh that guy's got a warrant let's go yeah and my field training officer she was like well i don't know if that's a good idea and i already had the truck in park you know yeah like, let's go <laughs> and that was the first uh yeah first fight i ever got into was right out in front of blackie's bar and oh, um i didn't you know that guy just had a stupid warrant it wasn't even that big yeah. a deal but he wanted to throw down and you know it was cold you know it's like 20 below zero middle of winter and um, it was all I could do just to just get on top of the guy and just hold him down. And I'll tell you what, in my the the field training officer, I was very descriptive in, in the book about this. I mean, it, I mean, she wasn't any help at all. She was yeah. it was worthless. Um, it was horrible. Um, but anyway, so she's standing over there not helping. But anyway, I'll tell you what, you can hear those sirens on a cold winter night a from a ways. long way away. When they leave that trooper post on Pegger Road and start driving to North Pole, you can hear them a long way away. <laughs> and it takes a long time for them to get there. Oh, that's but uh, they pulled up, and uh, Pat Nelson stepped out, and he's he's retired now. And uh, we're on you know social media, and we talk on there, and he's the first one to get out. And he was in training with uh, one of the, the old uh, – Dave Dravinkar was the, the training officer that he was with. I'll never forget that. Pat got out and ran over to him, jumped on me, and like, hey, Pat, yeah. I'm glad to see you because oh, <laughs> I was getting yeah. cold. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then yep. oh, and then the other funny one, yeah, that – I don't know if that's ever happened to you again where <laughs> when you see saw the guy 
you know, was in Thrifty Liquor, you know, yeah. right there on the corner. <laughs> yeah. And the- yeah, there's been a lot of funny stuff like that, you know, and a lot of funny stuff that wasn't in the book. You know, you're, you're talking about this guy. That was actually the first guy I ever arrested was out of yep. North Pole. Well, here we are, you know, four or five years later, standing out in front of Thrifty Liquor, you know, there on Cushman. I was yep. like, hey, there's the dude. I had a ride along with me. I had this gal from West Valley High School yeah. riding with me on some job <laughs> shadow and I get out of the car and I'm like, hey, I'm going to go arrest this guy in the, in the liquor store. And I was stupid and I should have just arrested him in the store. But I said, hey, step outside and you talk to you. And of course, as soon as I said, hey, you got a warrant, he took off running. And I'm not a runner. Yeah, me either. And he took off running south on Cushman. I took off running after him and hung around the corner and he was just gaining on me and taking off. And some dude pulled up next to me. He's like, hey, get in the car. And I'm like, running, what? And he's like, get in. So he, I jumped in the car. Let's get him. He said, <laughs> yeah. let's get him. So he hit the gas and drove up to him and I jumped out and tackled him and he didn't know what happened he's like how'd you catch me and i was like that's what you know you run from the police that's what happens but there's been a lot of funny stuff like that you know that wasn't in the book you know i mean i've especially growing up here knowing so many people yeah you know you have these people trying to lie to you about who they are there's this one gal on cushman street one day that had a warrant and uh, i could hear patrol dealing with her and i knew her name i won't say her name but i I knew her name and um and finally i i turned around i'm like good lord you know so i turned around drive down there because I could tell that they were like arguing with her about she was lying who she was. She was, yeah. I don't have a warrant. That's not me. And so I get there and she's still arguing with him. She goes, I'll take you to my house. This is a wrongful arrest. This is not me. This is not who I am. And finally I'm like, I'll deal with her. I just cuffed her, get her in the back of the car. We get down the street and she's still trying to say, I'm telling you, if you take me to my house, I'll show you my ID. And finally I said her name. I'm like, listen to me. We went to the movies together in the eighth grade to go see yeah. my girl. Don't you remember that? And she's like, oh, Peyton, okay, never mind. Yeah, you know, I was like, come on, you know. So there's all kinds of funny stuff like that. But, you know, you could keep writing a book like that and just keep writing. But I think yeah. it would even bore even a hardcore true crime fan with all the stories. <laughs> but, you know, especially, like I said, growing up here and knowing so many people. No, but, yeah, yeah. it's uh, – yeah, I, re- I really enjoyed reading it. It was, it was a good book, and I, yeah, definitely – Definitely recommend it. And like before we dive into like hunting stuff, yeah. What's the best way people can get get this? Man, um, just uh, you know, it's at uh, it's down at the uh, down at the cutting edge. Mark uh, down at Mark, Mark Knapps. He's got some of them down there. Okay. Uh, Barnes and Noble's got them. If you want signed copies from me, um, you can just uh, get a hold of me on Facebook. Okay, um, look for my name, Peyton Meredith, on Facebook, and uh, just shoot me a message, and I'll get you one in the mail that's signed. Yeah. Um, you can always just shoot me an email too, if you want. It's just our last name, M-E-R-I-D-E-T-H dot family at gmail.com or cool. still got a stack up in my drive or my garage. I'd be more than happy to make room and, and get rid of them. And I never, you know, the books are 20 bucks, but I never, I never wrote the book thinking I was ever going to make money. Yeah. I mean, if you got into the publishing and I'm sure Pete probably mentioned this about his book too. Certainly, you learn like what to do and what not to do in the publishing world uh, when you're trying to do your first book. And I learned a lot of what not to do. Yeah. <laughs> so I definitely did, never wrote the thing to make to, you know to to make money off of it. It would be nice to break even on it. Yeah. <laughs> to, where I, uh, put, to get out what I put into it, which is amazing. Um, because I wanted, you know, one thing about the book when you get it, I, I wanted it to be good quality, mm-hmm. and I think you can tell. I mean, it's and when I mean good quality, I. I I felt like I owed it to the people that I was writing about um, not to put out like a bunch of crap. You yeah. know what I mean? I didn't yeah. want a cheap print to order book that just was just crappy. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, the paper's nice. It's got all the color photos in it. And, 
you know, the cover art I had done by a graphic artist and stuff. And it's just good quality stuff. And that yeah. meant a lot to me, you yeah. know, because just, you know, like I said, I thought I owed that to the people I wrote about. So, oh, yeah, for know, sure. Yeah. And it was, but, uh, how'd you, what kind of experience, how'd you, how'd you, how'd you find the experience of writing it was? And this is coming you know, from a guy who is a, a writer, a, yeah. a on staff writer who never planned, never yeah. trained, and never, I, never. You know, it, I, I've wrote a, you know, a fair number of articles for some magazines and I wrote a hell of a lot of police reports. I didn't know how bad of a writer I was until I sent that to an editor and paid like an editor to edit it. And I got it back and I was like, man, I suck. I was like, because she changed it and I'm like reading what she wrote and I'm like, that sounds awesome. I'm like, did I write? Nope. I I didn't write that. (laughs) And then you see the edits in the column. Right, and uh, Kelsey Stone was my editor. Yeah. She's a uh, wife of an FBI agent Which in town. Here. I know, I know him, and I, I went so to high you school. know, I yeah, went yeah. To high school with her. Oh, you so, okay? Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. So, so she did the edit, the initial editing on it, and uh, man, I just, gosh, I just bless her for doing it because yeah. holy hell, it would not. I mean, there's, it's not like Hemingway wrote it already, but yeah. luckily she was able to uh, to fix it. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, it, no, no, another it, way to put it. It it, it, re, it, re, it reads great, yeah. and everything's like. Man, it's a good book, it, yeah. and uh, I mean, yeah, coming from a guy who's like, I can't, if any my my old stuff is even still functional on Outdoor Life's website from back in the yeah. day, like you don't want to read it. Well, I remember the <laughs> it's pretty bad. Yeah, it's hard, but you know, I remember when uh, um, Kurt Wells, the editor for Bro Hunter Magazine, came bear hunting with uh, came bear hunting with us one time, and he set me down in the cabin. He's like, I want to show you something, and, and I because I had had done some articles for them. And he had the originals compared to what he had edited. Them. Yeah. And he married them together. And he's like, I want to show you something. And he mirrored the two copies together. And the differences between what I wrote and what he wrote, he could show me. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, I just. There's like yeah. an art to it and developing yeah, oh, yeah. your own style. And, you yep. know, like, I yeah. mean, and that's all aside from just learning proper. I mean, I hated English in high school. Yep. And there was finally like a, a college it was like a science writing class that I had to, I had to take in college. And, uh, that one wasn't too bad when I could write about things I, oh, I yeah. liked. And yep. that, you know, that was kind of a, yeah. you know, I mean, it was way before I, I just stumbled into writing for outdoor life, but, um, it was kind of like a, yeah, a little bit of an eye opening moment for me. And now, I mean, I, it's, it's fun for me to try to get better too, but um, yeah, yeah, no, you, you definitely get better at it. And, uh, and, you know, segueing into the, to the hunting part of the whole thing, I finally got to meet, you know, my, I want to see my mentor writing all these years and stuff. When I was writing articles for Bowhunter or something like that was Craig Boddington. Yeah. And I finally got to meet him at Dallas Safari Club this yeah, year. Yeah. I seen him uh, the other day. <laughs> yeah. Well, for most folks, it's not a big deal, yeah. but growing up in no, Alaska, no, yeah. I had never yeah. been to these shows and, and, and growing up reading his writing about Africa and, and inspiring me wanting to go to Africa for the first time, um, finally getting to meet him. And I told him, yeah. I was like, man, you know, it's like, you know, when I used to try to write these articles for, you know, these magazines, it was like your voice in my head. Like, how would Craig Boddington write this? Mm-hmm. And it sounds kind of silly. Yeah. But it's like his his writing is so easy to read. It's like he's just telling a story. Yeah. And, and that's just what I tried to do here. I was just trying to tell a story 
and trying to be me. And a lot of people have said, yeah, you can tell you're in the writing. Yep. Because, man, I'll talk the horns off of Billy Goat. Very right? much and like so Pete's, like Pete's book. Kind of like, like you Pete's. Can tell it's the Pete. same thing. <laughs> and, and Pete, you know, he, he talks about his journals that he kept over the mm-hmm. years and the journals that went into writing the book. I've read all those damn journals. I got every one yep. of them. I've saved them because he used to send them to me. And when I started writing journals and stuff, it's just kind of like with Craig and with Pete and stuff. It's like, just tell the story. Yeah. It's like, just tell the story, you know, just somebody told me one time, just destroy the power of the white because it's just a white piece of paper. Getting started just is getting the started, hardest part. Just destroy that white yep. paper and just tell the story. And that's what I yep. kind of want to always, do. Yeah. You can yep. always go back and tweak yeah. and. Or pay somebody to do it. Yep. <laughs> <'Cause they'll>, <laughs> and, <laughs> and they'll do it. <laughs> yep. They will do it. But yeah. yeah so it's, uh, you know, so you're, you're retired from law enforcement and now you're, you're working for a. A booking, basically. I am. I I, I stumbled into a job that I, I, I what I like to quote Rick Springfield, the singer. I was like, my leaky ship finally came in. Yeah. And I don't know how it works. So we moved to Idaho a couple of years ago. Um, my wife had uh, gone to Boise State, mm-hmm. and uh, our, our oldest two boys had talked about going to Boise State, and we're like, let's go. And then we moved down there, and neither one of them went to Boise State. Yeah. Uh, and there we are. We're still there, but we really enjoy it. And I teach uh, criminal justice at Boise State, so I'm the only one who has anything to do with Boise State University yeah. <laughs> after we left. Um, but, um, no, it's it's been really good for us, and I stumbled into this job and um, was lucky enough to be hired by – um, the owners of Shoshone Adventure Consulting, um, which is a uh, an international hunting and adventure booking agency, mm. and I stumbled into this job, and they they're letting me run the run the show, and I don't know, they took a chance on some middle aged forty years something retired cop from Alaska to run their company, and it's going really well. So literally, I get up at eight a.m. and I start talking about hunting to people all over the world. Nice. Um, the people in my WhatsApp, the numbers I got yeah. for people that are in the <laughs> safari world is unbelievable. But uh, it's a great company. You know, we book for we book hunts all over the world for people. I mean, literally everything from elk and mule deer to you know safaris in Tanzania, and it's just really cool. I've met some of the most interesting outfitters from around the world that just want you to help them mm-hmm. book hunts yeah and you learn about their hunts and how they do it and uh, their booking process and you learn all these different north american outfitters and mule deer and elk and moose and some of them come real easy to talk about a guy you know calls up hey i want to book a goat hunt on kodiak what do i do i'm like i tell you about that all day long you yeah. know but somebody calls up hey i want to hunt a uh you know some you know, the animal over in Asia or something I've never done before. I want to do this. Well, I got to do some research. I'll get back like, to you. I got to go over there and yeah. try it out for you. Well, first. yeah. And that's, that's kind of a perk of the job. You know, a lot of these people want you to come visit their places to give you some credibility when you start booking their yeah. hunts and, and, uh, far be it for me to not to do that. And, yep. uh, you know what, if, yeah, I'll go, <laughs> you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll do that. And we've got some really cool trips planned, but it's, uh, I've just been real blessed. I'm, I'm real lucky. It's a great company to work for. And, um, you know, I'm not I'm not here to plug the company or anything, but no, it's that's, uh, that's fine. It, it's a yeah. great company to work for, and I never visioned myself uh, being a booking agent for hunts or working for a company like that. But I'll tell you what, I've met some really great people, and I work work with some outstanding people in that company. Well, there was um, a time in my cool. life where I never envisioned myself not like covering pipe on Fort Wayne, right? Yeah, <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, same way. I'm going to have to steal that. My leaky ship is fine. My leaky coming. ship. I was uh, I was in this trial last week, and uh, I was in front of the jury. And, of course, the first thing you get up is, 
you know, your background and your experience and all this stuff, mm-hmm. you know. And, of course, the, the prosecutor is like, and what are you doing these days? You know, what are you doing in re- retirement? You know, we got five kids, like yeah. I'm retired, you know. And and uh, I'm like, well, I said, I, I work for an international hunting and adventure booking company. <laughs> and she looked at me and the judge looked at me and the jury looked at me. And I was like, I literally book hunting trips for people around the world. I was like, it's a good gig. And yeah. they, everybody just started laughing. I'm like, I don't know another way to put it. I'm like, I'm yeah. just really blessed and lucky no, to be able to do it. I'm the, yeah, I'm, I'm the, exactly the same way, man. It's, uh, I didn't ever envision there was a point where I would get up and just like look forward to what work I had to do that yeah. day. You yeah. Know? And it's, and that's yeah. where I'm at. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I know, love it. I get I, up, I take uh, our four year old, uh, little, uh, uh our, our, to preschool. Yep. I come back in my pajama pants and I go to work <laughs> all day. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I'm on Zoom meetings. I got a nice shirt on top. I got shorts on the bottom, you know, because yep. I'm sitting up there and my wife works from home as well. Yep. When she's not in Fairbanks working, she's, she works from home and, we just meet in the middle sometimes in the kitchen and say hi and get a cup of coffee and we go our separate ways back yep. to our own <laughs> our own offices and I'm talking people around the world all day. It's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, this but, is this is it for me here. Yeah. You know, my <laughs> yep. workspace. It's not distracting at all. <laughs> yeah. No. No, no, no. No, oh, the sheep are beautiful, man. It's unbelievable. And like I was telling you when I came in, the the two uh the two owners of uh of uh, Shoshone Adventure Consulting, they both have doll sheep hunts but they're brothers and they have yeah. doll sheep hunts booked in alaska this fall nice so that's so why i took the picture of all the sheep and i'm like i gotta send them this in the morning this is gonna yeah well I if like, I, here you go <laughs> if i'm not yeah you'll have to have them have yep. them stop by and say hi if Absolutely, i'm in town, yeah. I'm in town when they're in yep um, they'll be here in august nice so, yeah I'll, yeah i'll be here so well, i'm gonna be out sheep hunting somewhere yep but uh but no, been been real fortunate. Just had a you know, you know, growing up, being able to hunt in Alaska and then hunt up here with my kids and the adventures that that I've been on up here with Pete or with yeah. other people um, in Alaska. Just you know, I'll never forget it. But it's always here, and I've already come back hunting. And uh, my my oldest boy, he's a junior at the University of Montana, so he he's always talked about coming back up and being fish and wildlife with the troopers. He's yeah. never given up his residency because he's nice. he's on a wound yeah, scholarship. Yeah, yeah. He's a He's an Alaska resident, so I was like, I like that second-degree kindred thing. I'm like, boy, come back up there and get to work. And he's like, well, Dad, I don't know if I want to move back to Alaska. What if I want to work in Montana as a fish and wildlife agent? I'm like, that's fine. We're going on a grizzly hunt, though, before yeah. before yeah. that happens. I'm like, yep, yeah. before you sign that paperwork and you're still an Alaska resident, we're going on a hunt. Don't worry. Yeah, like <laughs> so, all, these, yeah. all these dirty diapers and... And nights getting kicked in the ribs and yep. sleeping on the side of the bed. Yeah, I'm cashing it's those about in. to cash in. That's right. And I was like, we're going on a hunt uh, before the residency thing. And, nice. Well, and, and you yeah. guys, and you guys. I mean, I think I had I'd never met you, obviously, but I had you know heard heard about you guys and your bet. You know, bear. You guys were bit before you left big yep. into bear baiting especially sure was did, one of them. Yep. you guys killed some monster bears. yeah we were real fortunate a buddy um we uh we had a pretty good area that we hunted there um north of town and yeah. uh this is where you'd beep beep the place yep, where yep, you're hunting yep. on the podcast but uh yeah no we did really well we were real blessed and, and really killed some big bears and uh my older boys they got spoiled killing big bears and uh, i think we were we were kind of known for that around for producing some really monster bears but you know we we treated those bears kind of like a deer herd yep and we had a quota we tried to keep every year and uh you know we just tried not to shoot anything under six and a half foot and just kind of kept a quota 
we had a good time with it, man. We had, you know, a lot of the big TV shows come up and hunt. We had a lot of fun. You know, we had like Lee and Tiffany, Lukoski came up, yeah. The Crush came up, and God, who else? The Wild Outdoors, Ray Gregory came up, Owner TV came up. There was a bunch of TV shows we played around with. They were fun. Um, just a lot of friends and family just really enjoying every spring. And it was a yeah. lot of work. I mean, we... You know, people always wondered how we were able to do that with those bears that far out of town and keep them, but they don't understand the work. I know you do yeah. that went into that. I mean, we we calculated one year we would go through you know over two thousand pounds of bait a year. Yeah, two over a ton of bait a year that we would haul up and. You know, we were always trying to perfect the way we did it to keep them coming and uh, keep the bait longer, different blind setups, because we always liked to hunt with the ground blinds. We, yep. we gave up hunting in the trees. The bl ground blinds were too cool. Yeah. And then it was, how close can we get the ground blinds? Well, how close can we put the GoPros and the different cameras? And we always just made it real fun, Yeah. especially for people that had never even seen a bear that would come hunting with us. Mm -hmm. And we'd have these guys come up that never seen a bear, and these bears would walk up in the blind, they'd stick their head in the blind, and... You know, they're smelling their bow and stuff. Yeah. And it's just cool as hell, you know. Oh, yeah. Just some of the adventures. Um, but, uh, yeah. And, of course, it all started with Pete. I mean, that's yep. that's kind of where it all started. I shot my first bear with uh, with Pete Bust when I was uh, um, in the eighth grade. And, uh, of course, ended up shooting bears on a bait just right down the road from it, you know, yep. literally. So, I mean, yep. some of the, you know, we were fortunate. Some of those baits we hunted, I mean, they've been there since, I mean, since the 80s, right? Yeah. And so that you're you're hunting generations of bears that have gone back to the same one. I think the most we saw in one night was like 22 different bears in Which one night. Which that's hopping. Yeah. Like, that's, that's, yeah. Really, that's really good for anywhere. Yeah, that's pretty darn good. Um, yeah, we've all killed you know, 20 inch, 20 inch plus bears and just, just like you have. And, you know, they don't get a whole lot bigger in the interior, but no, we were really blessed, but I'll tell you what, as soon as you could start hunting grizzly bears over bait, um, we were really excited after that. And then all of a sudden they got a calendar and then just poof, gone. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you couldn't get them to show up. Uh, yeah. Which the is, season. yeah. But, which is, you know, like grizzly. And when they first opened that up where I was hunting, like, oh yeah, this is going to be easy, you know, and yep. they're, you know, because you get tons of, we'd get tons of pictures of grizzly bears. Yeah. Um, but when you start thinking back, oh, well, how many did I actually see in right. person, you know? Yeah. And it was different. And it's, I, I can't say I haven't been successful at it because I've yeah. kind of, at least where I'm at. And I think it can vary depending on where you're at, what, what they're doing, but, and from, and from year to year, it seems to vary. But yeah, it's like, there's a secret, or like a, not oh, a secret yeah. sauce, but there's a, a method to, yeah, when when because when you're not trying to, I always found it was very difficult. It's like you couldn't you couldn't pattern them like the black bears, right? Yeah, yep. You get some big black bears in there, and until a hot sow came in and would probably and you know just like a deer, yep. you know during the rut would take them off. I mean, you get you know we of course we couldn't you know we're three hours out of town, right? It's mm -hmm. not like we could just drive up there and go hunting all the time, but we'd go up and get a week's worth of pictures. I mean, thousands and thousands of trail cam pictures. And then we would see, all right, well, this bait, I mean, you could, we named the bears, the big ones, the same yeah. ones comes like, we kind of pattern them, you know, but the grizzlies like, oh, there's a big grizzly. And then, you know, they'd be there for a couple of days and then, then take gone. off. Yeah, and you, you never just, see them again. You just never see yet. them again. And they're just gone. And, you know, you just couldn't pattern them like, uh, pattern them like the black bear. I mean, God, you know, I mean, the biggest black bear I ever shot with, uh, with the muzzleloader, one of the last ones I shot, um, it's just just like that you just pick them up on the trail camera for two days and drive up there and i mean it's like they just like you open to hit the switch like oh you know cue door three and here comes yeah. the bear it's like 11 o'clock here he comes yeah 
you know, and some of them were like that. But the Grizzlies, no, we never could. But anyway, yeah, we were we were really blessed with the Bears. Yeah. Did um, you guys but, you guys go pretty well? Probably a spot like that. You guys probably go pretty simple on your. I mean, I always tell you know. At a man, you know, I tell just tell people because it's you don't have to overcomplicate it. There's nope. a lot of cool scents and stuff, and there's certain yeah. certain things I like. You know, I'll nope. try different stuff and things I like, but you know, a good stink bait. Yep, food to hold them and and yeah, the biggest thing was and, the food to hold them. Yep, um, because when you can't check your bait up there every day, yep. right? So what we would do is we would start out with. Uh, Every bait we had, we usually ran like six baits, mm-hmm. and every bait had the same thing on it. We'd have one 55 gallon drum um, that, and it changed over the years. Now, when Kentucky Fried Chicken used to have the, the lard, good fat yeah, yeah, cholesterol fill filled grease, your, the lard, yeah. you could do a drum of that and it'd last for a while. But then they went healthy or whatever, and then they didn't have that anymore, right? Now they got oil. Now it's oil, right? Yeah. And so I'll never forget when we cracked open the first oil barrel thinking it was a lard barrel, and we're like, what the hell are we going to do with this? You know, it's just a big barrel of grease you know yeah, it's like yeah. but so what we ended up starting to do is you know you try to get different concoctions with stuff how can we make this stay and we ended up doing like we'd get open top drums 55 gallon drums and we would fill those about we'd put a bag of dog food grease bag mm-hmm. of dog food grease bag of dog food grease and if you do that and you layer it like that that grease would so or the dog food would soak in some of that grease and it would yep. make it almost like an oatmeal. Yeah. So we would have one of those drums would step step over on its side. And we had this stuff down with science, man. Yeah. Like it was a like we had it dialed in. And we'd put one of those things on a side and we would do two holes in each side of the drum and we'd do a chain or cable wrapped around the tree like that. And you do it on the tops of the drums so the bear couldn't grab the little hole and then pull it down to tip it. Yeah. They couldn't do that. So we'd have that one set up like that. And then we'd always have one 55-gallon drum, an open-top drum with a little bitty hole in the top, and we'd just fill that with dog food, and it was just like a salt shaker. And we'd chain that to a T-post that we would put up in the middle of the bait, right? Mm -hmm. And then they would just, just like a chew toy for them. They'd spin that thing around and dump it, and you could make that last quite a while. Because and but you, that and that hole in the top of that drum, I swear to God, was only big enough to get out like a couple pieces of dog food. And they would drain that damn thing. Yeah, it's unbelievable. But it would hold them for a while, and we would use that T post in the middle. Um, the T post stood for two reasons. I mean, it was there for a couple reasons. One was to hold the drum on there, but two, that is the absolute tried and true method for judging a black bear. Sizing, yeah. Sizing a black bear. You get that green T post from Home Depot with a white top on it. Mm-hmm. You take your T post driver, you drive that thing down there to where the top of that post is 36 inches off the, off the ground. And I'm telling you what, it works. And when a bear walks in front of that T post and his front shoulders, not his butt yeah. or his back, if his front shoulders or at the bottom of the white on that T-post, that bear will square six foot. Yeah. If they're halfway up, it will square six and a half foot. And if they're at the top, you should have already shot the damn thing already. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it it is it just works. But it's got to be 36 inches. Yep. It can't be 34. It can't be 30. It's got to be 36 inches. I'm telling you right now, and trust the T-post. It, it's just, it worked. No, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, well, and it was probably, well, through Nick, who I think, you know, was mm-hmm. talking to you guys. Mm-hmm. Because he started doing you know, barrels like that, and yep. I made one that my bait that's near town. I actually quit using a barrel just because there's enough people around. There's enough yeah. baits around that, eh, like it just seemed like I did better with without it. And there wasn't. I mean, in June you get enough traffic to empty it, but I, I'm close enough right. where I can just go. I can go deal with it, but yeah. um, I used that that barrel. I set up a 55 gallon you know lock top drum with. 
I think I put, I had a hole, I started with a hole in the middle and then I put another hole like on the, on the, towards the edge on the bottom of the drum. Yep. And then, uh, I drilled a hole through the side of the drum up at the top and through the lid and ran cable through. So you run cable, like a cable loop through the lid and through the drum. So that's, you know, the, the lid is yep. kind of attached to the drum, but that gets that, that captures that ring, that locking mm-hmm. ring. So they can't rip it out of the yeah. ba- barrel. And then I put, I put one or two swivels on it and then I would just cable it, cable yeah. lock it to a tree. But I, I, the, a T post, yeah, the T post is a yep. good idea we too. Just, we drove the T post down and that salt shaker drum is yep. what we called it. It was, we, we had a good length of chain on it because they'd wrap it around a bit, yeah. but we'd have a good, I don't know, five, six feet of chain on that. And they would just spit and they would yeah. tip it and they'd dump it and they just tip it and dump it. And what would happen is it also is a way to divide their attention because you get a board and a salad coming together, they'll yep. split up. One would go to this drum, one would go to this one, and it kind of divides their attention and yeah. splits them up and stuff like that. But no, that makes sense. Yep. But it, I mean, we those cable but, uh, that like I think it was like quarter inch cable, like heavy duty cable, yep. but with swivels on it, so you, so they they yeah. can't untwist the cable. Yeah, no, that worked too. That seemed to work pretty well. Yeah, I mean, we God, we just had that stuff so dialed in. Yeah. I mean, like we could go <laughs> set up a bait. I mean, like we didn't even have to talk to each other. It's like we just got these baits set up, and we would go through. You know, that one fifty-five gallon drum that's on its side, I mean, we would always have an extra one. We'd usually go ahead and haul it out there mm-hmm. and just leave it beside the bait full. And they, they're not going to take yeah. it anywhere. It weighs, it weighs 500 pounds. So we would have one of those, and we'd have to switch them out. And, you know, we'd wait till he gets down. And we were always done hunting almost. I mean, we were usually wrapped up our season by the 1st of June. We were done. Yeah, and that's we, pretty early for we were most done. Yep, you know, we were done. Most people. We'd have people come up. Uh, we would tell them wait to get their plane tickets until um you know we kind of knew what the snow was going to do yep. we always tried to have our bait put in the first weekend of may yeah that was our target date the first weekend of may and usually we could get everything in there and we'd start hunting them usually like right before memorial day we'd spend a couple weeks knock them all down we were literally we were done almost every year by the first of june we were yeah because i think mine yep. it would it, which it cracks me up and I mean, you probably saw tons of it too is you know the april 15th there's oh goodness gracious <laughs> like, have like, fun yeah like, it's like whatever you know and then you're gonna burn you know someone if yep. someone runs out you know because it's not the greatest place to someone runs yep. out to one of these creeks yep. right out of town here and uh you know april 15th and then they're checking it two or three times a week until by the by the time the yeah. bears are up and moving around really they're yeah you know they're burnt out and have spent more on gas than yep. it does to and, and and yeah you know we used to get on the i used to get on the forums you know outdoor director or yep, whatever and yep. see these guys out there it's like all right it's the 15th we're going out i mean there's still four feet of snow on the ground <laughs> yeah. i mean it's just like have fun guys you know it's and i get it you know guys want to mark their spot and they're yeah. worried about the, you know we never had to worry about that we yeah. were so far out of town and and, you know, the places that we were accessing, you know, we had permission to be on some of these places for access. And yep. we just didn't have to worry about people. We very rarely, I, mean, I think there was one time we had some guys set up a bait on our trail that was accessed off a of private property. Like, you couldn't get to where we were going without going through somebody's yard, you yeah. know. And these, these jackasses went out there and put a bait down the trail from ours, and they stuck a barrel out in the woods. There was Didn't chain it to anything. Yeah. Just cut a hole in this barrel, stuck a thing of dog food in it, um, threw some salmon on the ground, which, you know, it's not, it, legal. not yeah. even legal anyway, um, depending on how it's caught or, you know, yeah. rod, whatever it is. But anyway, they put salmon on there. I mean, it was just, this, it was like Mickey Mouse, right? It was just <laughs> amateur hour. 
And we're like, what do we do with this? And I'm like, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do with it. I mean, it wasn't, there was no placard. It wasn't yeah. registered. And yeah. so I left a business card on the tree. And I'm like, yeah, I took your bait. And I was like, if you want it, come down to the police department and give me a call. <laughs> then I went to the state troopers. And I was like, hey, if you get a call about somebody taking somebody's bait, it was me. And they're like, okay. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, it was, <laughs> it was like, you know, if they come in to claim it, write them a ticket. And I'm telling you, it wasn't, they didn't, it wasn't placarded. They didn't have nothing. And I think that was like the only time we really had anybody even close to so we were just real lucky you know yeah. we just so far out of town no one wanted to drive that far and, but yeah yeah but no i'm kind of the same way i'm, yeah. I'm obviously i'm dependent on rivers right but uh if i can if i figure if i can get baits out by the 10th of may i'm doing yeah. pretty good and then usually yeah. usually i think the earliest one i've ever killed was the 12th but usually by about the 20 like 20th to 25th Oh yeah, like the bear, the black bears are starting to move. Oh yeah, good. and like I said, we were usually done Memorial Day weekend. Yeah. That was our big weekend, and then we were done. I mean, you know, we we would get to those baits, and most Man, of the time, it sounds so refreshing. I mean, I yeah. I, I, lo- I love hunting. I love oh, hunting yeah. into June and stuff, but man, by the end of June, I'm ready. To be oh done. yeah, then we were we were done with it. You know, we'd go clean up stuff, and sometime in June, we just pick a day and go clean it up. And um, but you know. We'd go to those baits the first week into May. There's usually there's little patches of snow on the ground, and there's yeah. already bears in there digging yeah. around. They're already been there. I'm yeah. like, they're just like, where are you guys at? You know. And yeah. so, I think the the shortest I can't remember what it was. Our record time for a bait getting hit on a trail cam was like two hours. That's pretty good. That's uh, pretty quick. I mean, because they're already there, they're just waiting on it. It was like two or three hours on the trail cam. It's like by the time we well, put a bait in to have the some first of these, time it got re- hit. some of yeah. these really rem- we've had that happen yeah. several times in some of these really remote spots. Yep. That you know, man, if you got a good, if you got a good wind, there's they're gonna come. You know, yeah. which I, gonna, I still like letting it sit yeah. and letting them kind of establish a. Yeah, and that and that. You know, and we would just put out um, a little bit of stink bait. You yeah. know, we would we would get some buckets, and usually we would have some rotten something or yeah. you know whatever like, was legal. Like but fish we would, skins, yeah, or like or... even I'd go get like chickens or something on sale at yeah. the store that you know to get these. You know, they're on special because they're going bad or something. We'll just take them off, put them in a bucket for yeah. a month, and that's and then you right. yeah <laughs> yeah, and then you would go out there hoist those things up in a tree, and we yeah. call it good. You know, we we used to use the Batum nine hundred seven stuff a yeah. little bit. We've tried. Oh God, we did everything. You know, we yeah. we tried so many goofy stuff, man. We had so much. We used to hang. We used to try to figure out the best way to fool because you couldn't leave your blinds in there, right? Yeah. Because they'll, they'll chew them up. Them up. Those yeah. things are like freaking five hundred dollars, right? Yeah. Or whatever those nice double bulls and stuff, right? But we were always hunted on the ground. Once you hunt on the ground, like you never, I never wanted to get a tree again with the bears. I mean, yeah. being down low with them, looking That's at them, exciting. it's just cool as hell, yeah. right? But we're always trying to figure out ways to, you know, fool them, like because they know you're there. Yeah. But it's like, you know, like how are we not going to make them startled by this big blob all of a sudden? So one year we were like, all right, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna hang a tarp. Um, we're gonna leave a tarp, like a green tarp, hanging in front of where the blind would be. Yeah. And then when we go in to go hunt, we'll put the blind behind the tarp, fold the tarp back over the top of the blind. Then it won't look quite as quite as yeah. different, right? So one year we had this one bait where you'd walk down this hill to it. And so you could see bears down in the woods there as you're walking down this hill, but the tarp was there. And I had this buddy who was a Marine. I'd met him online. Here I am teaching online safety about stuff to kids. And I met this guy online, <laughs> invited him to go hunting, right? It could have been anybody, but he shows up and he looked like he did in his pictures. So it was cool. And uh, so he shows up and he was a Marine. This guy gets, this is funny, right? This guy gets on the plane in Japan. He was stationed over there. He was a major He's retired now, and uh, he gets on the plane to Japan, flies, Jap- you know, Tokyo or you know, some bullet train to Tokyo, whatever. 
flies to Seattle, Seattle Fairbanks. It's been a long day. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Gets to Fairbanks at like three o'clock on that three thirty flight, like I was on today. I pick him up from the airport. We hit Fred Meyer and we hit the road, right? We're heading up north on the Hall Road, you know? So we get up to where we're going and he's tired, but he's excited, you know, and it's it's beautiful out. It's a beautiful night. And so we're driving to camp. I was like, hey, listen, do you want to go see some bears on the way to the to the cabin? And he's like, no, we're not going to. He'd never seen a bear. He's like, yeah. no, we're not going to see any bears. Like, yeah, we are. He's like, here, pull in here. So I pull into this gravel pit where this bait's at. And I was like, listen, get your bow. And he's like, dude, I can't. I just got off the plane. He goes, I'm exhausted. <laughs> and we're not going to see a bear. I'm like, and you're shooting a recurve. Mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, just get your bow, right? He's wearing T-shirt, shorts, flip-flops, gets his recurve out throws a couple arrows into like a dirt clod. He's like, yeah, everything's working. I'm like, all right, come on. So we hike down this hill and we get down there and there's three or four bears on this bait and this big, beautiful cinnamon bear. I was like, you want to shoot a cinnamon? He's like, no, are you kidding? Well, that tarp is there. Yeah. Well, as it turns out, that tarp, you can use that. We just walked right up to the dam (laughs) where the blind was because the tarp's in front of us. The bears, they had no idea we were there. Oh, man. And so here he is in his shorts. He just, you know, looks on the other side of that tarp. And I'm like, shoot him. I mean, he's standing right there 15 yards away. There old Chuck was in his flip-flops and his shorts and his T-shirt and thwack, shot it, killed that bear. thing ran 10 yards, died right there at the bait. Nice. Perfect shot. And he's like, I just got off the plane. I was like, and he had been, so we, we go <clears throat> have to drive to the cabin, get the four wheeler to come all the way back to go and get that bear, get all the way back to the cabin. We're skinning it out on the porch of this cabin. We had that dialed in too, skinning yeah, these yeah. things. We had that dialed in, man. And uh, here comes my buddy and his girlfriend. They had shot a bear on a different bait and needed help go find it. And he's like, nice. I just got off the plane. Nice. So then we had to go find that one, get back. The poor guy had been awake like 48 hours. Oh, There's two man. dead bears on the ground. But You mean to tell me you guys anyway. don't carry them over your shoulders? No. Like some people? No, I'll tell you what. All those years doing that, all those bears, and I think I've been on like about 75 kills is what I counted up one time. Um, all those kills, we never had to do one bear in the woods. I refused nice. to skin a bear out there in the woods. I was like, no, we will figure out how to get this bear back to the cabin. I want to skin that bear on my wraparound porch where I can stand up and skin yep. it with the music on my iPod and we're all drinking beer and stuff yep. and skinning this thing, telling stories and ribs on the fire. I was like, I'm not going to stay in this mosquito <laughs> choked hellhole that all you people decide to live in up here in Alaska yep. still. No, I'm not going to do it. No, we always got it. Even the big ones, we, would, you guys were we doing would do it. it. You, were, yeah, yep. you guys were doing it in the days before thermocells because I was doing yeah. it in the days yeah. before Yeah, and thermocells. then thermocells came around. That was a game changer. Oh, thermocells huge. were a game changer. But we would get those four-wheelers. We'd tip the four. We'd turn the gas off, tip the four-wheeler on the back, Yeah, wrap the bear up on the back rack, and then everybody pull on the front. Nice. You know, you get those big ones. Thermocells were a game changer. Huge. Thermocells were a game changer. You sit in those double bull blinds or whatever. You put that thermocell on game changer and you just sit there and look like what did we used to do i'll tell you yeah i'll tell you what you did two pairs the of pants. head nets the pants and the head nets and the constant in your ear and it's you think back to that and you're like god how did we do that all those years but no no man those thermocells dude Mm-mm. yeah well game I, re- I, and I remember you know being like oh man these bears you can't hear these bears when they come yep. well it's because there was a million fucking mosquitoes, mosquitoes around yep. my ear you know yep. coming out in any you know have to wear two pairs of pants because they yep. bite through one. Duct tape all your, you know, sleeves and. Yeah, I, I refuse well. to go without them. We we we'd all carry two. Yeah, I <coughs> two or three. We'd carry in case they broke. Yeah. Well, we always I always had a backup. So we all, you know, my buddy and I, we always had two each. Yep. Um, as a backup, and so I'd put one just get in the blind. I put it right at our feet. Yeah. And within ten minutes, it's like nothing. 
yep. sitting there in a t-shirt. Loved it. We were hunting there one night, and I refused to hunt without him. And it was uh, myself, uh, my buddy, and my two oldest boys. They drove all the way to this bait. I was like, nope. I was, I'm going back to cabin. I'm getting it. You, I'll be back in a minute. It's like I'm not going to sit here all night. I'm too spoiled now. I'm like, yeah, I can't do it. <laughs> Yep, nope. of all the gimmicky shit out there, God, those thermocells are worth every damn penny. <clears throat> I drank the Kool-Aid on those things, and absolutely. You know, those and even those those Ozonics yeah. for the grizzly bears especially. Yep. Yeah, uh, yeah, those. we've we've had those in the blind. We've had some of those TV show folks that, yeah. you know, they're sponsored. They have yeah. to get all their stuff. And, yeah. <laughs> well, we had some funny times with some of the TV shows and stuff, how they operate. And, oh, I bet. You know, I'll tell you what, I'll, but I'll give them this, man. Some of those guys, and you know, you watch them on TV, and it's like, ah, it's just for TV. But like your Lakoskis, you know, Lee and Tiffany yeah. and them, you know, they're one of the most popular shows out there. I'll tell you what, they hunt their butts off, man. Nice. They came up and hunted with us, and uh, Lee and Tiffany did. And this was in 2009 or 2010 when they came up uh, and hunted with us. And they, I'll tell you what, that Lee Lakoski, I had, we had trail cam pictures of some monster bears on this one bait. Yeah. That guy passed up bears that most people would have just shot five times. Yeah. Just holding out for that one monster. He never shot one, but he set of that damn thing 12 hours a day. He'd go back, sleep, eat a bowl of cereal and take his camera and kind of go right back to that bait. Yeah. Hunted his tail off. And, uh, Tiffany shot a real nice bear, uh, with me one night. And then their two camera guys that came up shot real nice bears. One of them shot a freaking giant, man. Big George, their big camera guys yeah. on the TV shows now, yeah. a real big dude. He shot a monster. And I'm glad he was with us, too, because it went down this embankment in yeah. this creek, and we had to pull it up with the winch and do everything. But Yeah. Um, no, I, I, yeah, it was pretty cool. A lot of fun stories. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I freaking yep. love spring bear. I mean, I love all kinds of stuff, but spring bear hunting is, yep. especially this time yeah. of year, is yep. looking fun. I, uh, well, and out of a boat a little different, I... I've skinned, I've had to skin most of the grizzly. I've got a couple grizzly bears out whole. Yeah. Most of them, well, usually I'm by myself. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that adds a whole nother. But I, I, I need to talk to like, well, it's, uh, well, tent or airframes, whatever the company, Air, Alaska Airframes that owns, um, uh, Arctic oven or tent, Alaska tent tarp and Northern Sled, yeah. Northern Sled Works. I need to have them just make, I need to have them make me. Like a, a nice, sled and I've or talked about this yeah. a lot. Like a nice UHMW sled, yeah. Because I usually just get the it's a certain orange like kids snow sled mm-hmm. from Century Hardware that they work really well for black bears, and usually they'll last a couple of years for black bears. But I yeah. drug that grizzly bear out this last year within busted it all to pieces. Yeah, so. I know Pete was with us one time. Pete wanted to come up and shoot a bear for whatever reason. I don't remember. And he and we got back and I was like, "How'd you get that thing back by yourself?" You know, and he he had taken that thing and uh, tied a rope to it, tied a rope on the back of the four wheeler because he didn't want to leave it there. Yeah, and tied a rope on the back of the four wheeler, and then throw that rope up over a big tree limb that he had, right? And then yep. drove off and hoisted that thing up, and then took the rope off the four wheeler, tied it to a tree. Yeah, unhooked it from the four wheeler, tied it to a tree. <laughs> then backed the four wheeler up underneath the bear. Then went back over the tree, undid the knot. And that thing just floated right down, right on the back rack. Oh, and I'm like, man. huh. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. all right. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, beware the old guys. Yeah. That, yeah. I'm like, all right, I get it. That's cool. 
But uh, luckily, there was always a couple of us that would hoist them up there. But I'll tell you what, you get those big bears, that's how we did it. We took the four-wheeler and tilt it. Tip it all the way back. Tip it all the way back and then stretch out a couple ratchet straps or something and then wrap it up and then pull that Because if that you had to, you down. could pull it or could, you, you could probably run your winch to a tree and pull your four-wheeler yeah. back down. Yeah, you, you could. To. We just would get two or three guys and just pull on the front of that thing. Yeah. And that's when you knew <laughs> you had Don't a, go up a big hill. <laughs> that's when you knew you had a big one. And that was we'd, we'd done that a lot. And then uh, one of the last kills that I was in on – um, you know, before I left, um, was, um, Alan's little boy, yeah. his, his son. So we took his son out, um, um, and shot, he shot the bear, um, with the gun, you know, his dad had given him and his yeah. dad never got to take him hunting, you know? And so we took him out and that was, that was really cool on a bait one night. I'll never forget that poor kid was so nervous. He was asleep and yeah. there's bears coming and going. And finally I just let him sleep, you know, until yeah. a big one came and this nice bear came in and. Woke up Fritz up and I'm like, here you go, kid. And he was so nervous because he was still kind of like asleep and he wakes up and he was so nervous and stuff. He had a hard time even pulling the trigger. So I had yeah. to line that rifle up and I was behind him and kind of sighted it for him and he pulled that trigger and I had my finger on his finger pumping him pull the trigger. Yeah. Yeah, it was, you know, it's the kind of thing is, you know, is supposed to be his dad, you know, taking him to do that stuff, but you know that was that was that was pretty special and then uh you know rich hamilton out of browtine did the taxidermy work on it for for nice. cost yeah we did nice. like a donation thing and he did it for cost and and, and did for it's a nice rug and oh, stuff so that awesome. was one of the last one of the last nuts i did out there um before we moved i do miss spring bears moving to idaho that's where we live now um there's only a few things i miss man i'll tell you what i miss my friends yeah i miss spring bears i miss chitna i miss going dip netting which yeah i miss going dip netting um, I don't see how you people live here in this cold, man. I just don't get it. <laughs> I just don't I just get off the plane. I'm like, it I don't get it. didn't take that long, huh? No, it <laughs> did not take that long because almost all winter I can see grass in my yard and the snow on the mountains. And I'm like, that's what I want right there. Yeah, and, that's uh, the, yeah. One, the one thing. I mean, I don't know. I like – there's plenty of stuff I like doing in the winter too. I wish I, I, I would like weather to be able to just shoot, you know, yeah. comfortably go outside and shoot outdoors all winter. Yeah. But you can't have you can't have nope. cake and eat it too. <laughs> no, you can't. And uh, you know, Alaska's wonderful, but we've enjoyed enjoyed the move to Idaho nice. as well. I mean, Idaho's beautiful. I mean, there's you know, you get four seasons for one thing. You were um, the last people they yeah. let in Idaho, I think, right? It's closed now. I'll tell you what, they're trying to close it. They're trying to, but I'll tell you what, we've got our own um just within our little circle of friends, there's three other retired Fairbanks police officers right there within our little circle that nice. have all moved down there. You know, it's a great contrast. Uh, politically, they align pretty well with the way most of us feel yeah. <laughs> about politics yeah. uh, in Idaho. Um, you get the four seasons. You know, you've got the desert in the bottom, but you drive an hour north, you're in some of the most beautiful mountains, you know. I mean, it's hard to beat. Listen, I hear I tell people, like, they say, <laughs> well, how do you compare it to Alaska? I was like, well... I was like, you can't compare anything to, you know, Prince William Sound on a sunny day with the glaciers. Yeah. and the, You know what I mean? It's just yeah. some things. It's like, that's not fair. But the rest of it, you know, there's... You know, there's beautiful parts of every state in this country. Yep. You know, they're all just a little bit different. Mm -hmm. You know, just like you. I've traveled all over, and you know, growing up in Alaska, and, you know, the Mississippi Delta is beautiful. You know, Idaho Mountains are beautiful. I've hunted coos deer in Arizona. I'm like, yeah. this is the coolest country I've ever been in. It's like a desert, but it's mountains, and there's yeah. these little deer everywhere. Yeah. They're all beautiful. It's just they're all a little different, you know, mm -hmm. but there's, there's definitely things we miss about uh, not being here, but, you know, but I get to come back and visit and visit pete and go hunting and come see guys like you and 
You're tolerating it okay. I'm tolerating <laughs> when the, the district attorney pays for me to come back for court. I get to visit people, and it's not bad. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. But yeah. We've been real fortunate. Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't keep you keep you up till midnight. I'm glad you stopped by. Yeah, you did. I, I was appreciate like, it oh, very my, much. I was like, man, my wife's not going to be home from work till about yeah. eight. So. Nope, nope. It's been a long day of flying and uh, getting ready for court tomorrow. But no, it's been a pleasure, man. I really appreciate you you having me up and talking about the book. It means a lot. Um, you know, it was a hell of a project doing it. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, no, there's it. Like I said, it's not. It's a quick read. It's not a Hemingway read. It goes pretty darn yeah. quick. Uh, um, because it's it's a cop wrote it, you know, yeah. <laughs> so it's not definitely a, yeah. a literary work of art. But I think it uh, I think it turned out good. But no, yeah, it's cool. It's yep. good. Definitely a look into you know a different side, different side of a lot. Like I I thought it was really interesting. So yeah, um, yep. And everything in that book is true. There's not. Yep. I mean, I like to embellish and tell a good story like everybody else, but everything's true. Um, you know, I tried to be real careful. All the most, all the cases that I discuss in that book are all adjudicated. They're all done. Yeah. Um, all of them are mostly still in jail. Yeah. You know, I got a lot of people asking me, oh, what if, you know, you get sued writing this. What if somebody, I was like, sue me for what? I'm like, yeah. you know, I'm sitting here writing a story. The guy's sitting in jail for murder. I'm not lying about this. Yeah. It's like he did it. You know, I, mean, yeah. I don't know what to tell you. Change some names. Some of the names are real. Some of them I didn't have to change. I just changed anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, especially, you know, some of the cases, like some of the kids stuff, but, um, I tried not to, I didn't, I didn't like to change the names on a lot of the homicide stuff. Cause it just takes away from the story. It's oh, like, yeah. I want the real names. There's no reason not to tell the story. I mean, it's all public record anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just kind of is what it is. So, but yeah, no, anyway, well, well yeah. I pre, you know, appreciate you writing it. It's, uh, yeah, definitely. It's a cool book. And if you got, I mean, whether you you like true crime or not, or, you know, just it's another cool, yeah. interesting aspect of Alaska and, you know, s- stuff people, you know, obviously people deal with up here. and Oh, yeah. And yeah. the hunting and, you know, and people who, a lot of people like to hunt and fish are yeah. police officers and, and I, troopers. And, and I, <laughs> I, had, I had to sprinkle it in a couple little hunting stories in there. So that's yep. been an important part of my life. So I think it was important to add some of that stuff in there. So Yeah, but, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Nope, I appreciate it, bud. All right, yeah. Yeah. Well, if uh, you enjoy Tundra Talk, I appreciate appreciate if you leave a good review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen on. Uh, if you don't like it, then you can leave a bad one. That's okay. But uh, thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, tune in next time.